Season three of Black Belt Voices is brought to you by Southern Bancor. Southern Bancor is one of America's oldest and largest community development financial institutions. Founded to provide underserved communities with access to capital and the wealth building tools needed to grow. On the web at banksouthern.com and southernpartners.org. Listening to the Black Blood Voices podcast, where we tell stories from and about Black folks down south. These stories honor our history. You know, they didn't have any problem enslaving children their age. So why would you have any problem teaching children that slavery existed and what slavery was really like? Celebrate our culture. Black Southerners are just like none other. I mean, we are just seasoned to perfection, honey. And shape our future. Voting is a form of currency. You have to use it. Happy Thanksgiving, Black Butt Voices listeners. I'm Adina White. And I'm Kara Wilkins. Adina, mm-hmm. another Thanksgiving is approaching us. Yes. What are, it's exciting. It really is. What are your plans for Thanksgiving holiday? Yeah, on Thanksgiving Day, we'll be here in Arkansas with my side of the family. And then on Friday, we'll go to Oklahoma to be with my husband's side of the family. Well, your, your Thanksgiving sounds exciting. Um... And you get to travel. I actually am having another pared down Thanksgiving and I love it. Mm-hmm. So just me and my boyfriend, I am doing some of the cooking, but I've catered <laughs> some yes. of it as well. <laughs> and then towards the end of the evening, we may go see like one or two of our family members. But if not, we've also decided we may not do that. So we're right. relaxing this holiday. Yes, I think that's one thing that COVID taught us like you know you don't got to do the most you know just yeah so we're talking about family we're talking about giving and anytime anyone talks about family you're really talking about your history and the fabric of where you came from so today we're continuing our series on preserving our history and we sure are excited about today's guest my name is Nika Sewell-Smith, and I am a master of none. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of things, but primarily I do, uh, I practice genealogy, professional genealogy, and I am a transplant. I live in West Tennessee, but I am Californian through and through. So I'm every day I'm learning more and more about Southern culture, but I would imagine that you know, there's a, there's a huge part of me that is Southern because the majority of my grandparents were from the D South. Nika has a fascinating background and is doing the dang thing. Adina, I just love the way she sh- laid out her story in timeline form on her website. Yes, she's just, she was so great to talk to and she's been all over the place. And we're talking about the Today Show, CNN, MSNBC, and even on that series, Who Do You Think You Are? And she's even been interviewed by the Oakland Tribune, National Geographic, and Time Magazine. So So right now, she's hosting an innovative web show called Black Pro Gen Live. So far, Nika has produced 125 episodes focused on people of color, genealogy, and family history. 
Uh, and when I talked to her last week, we were on a, on the call for two and a half hours. It was such a good conversation. And we jumped right into the deep end. And something that was very interesting to me, um, because my husband is a big genealogy researcher in my family, was that the vast majority of people doing genealogy research are women. I am actually not surprised by that. Mm. Um, so speaking of my mom in the who do you think you are? She is the person spearheading our genealogy research for my family and was the one who got uh, the uh, 23andMe done. And then she's mm. been the one doing the research and going to the archives. And one day I will tell the listeners the story about how she traced our family lineage to Gullah Gullah Island to then I had to, or to Gullah Island, sorry, to which then I had to explain to her that was a slave port. And all of, the, all of our history traces back there, but that's another conversation on another day. Uh, we can have that conversation now because we're talking about genealogy. Oh, no, that was the story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to break it to my mom that that was a slave port and that, you know. So. Yeah, and there, there's so much um, stuff I didn't know about my own family. And as I said, my husband has been doing genealogy research. So he's climbed my family tree and his own. And there's some cool things that I've learned. Like, you know, I know that my um, grandfather, my paternal grandfather worked on the railroad. I did not know that his father did and his father's father did. So it's kind of like you learn these things about your family. And also on my mom's side, you know, my my grandfather got a Homestead Act grant oh, um, wow. from the federal government. That's yes. Cool. When you cleared, yes. And when, I mean, we're still living on that land today, I believe. Mm-hmm. My husband will correct me if I'm wrong. But um if you clear the land for the federal government, you get to keep it after so many years. And so um, he's really dug and found out a lot of the stuff about my own family. So I wasn't always most interested when he would tell me things, um, but I'm really grateful that he's done this work into, our, into, my, into my family and his. So Nika's interest in genealogy began in 1985. Yeah. So for me, um, going to a family reunion is really what kind of started stuff off for me. And being around the elders. That was not, you know, there are people that I know that grow up in scenarios where, you know, unfortunately they are not raised around a lot of older people, you know, or, or engaging with a lot of older people. But that was, that was, I was fortunate enough to where that was not what happened with me. I was constantly around my grandmother and her siblings and you know, their children and extended family, you know, to the point where cousinship I mean, in every branch of my family does not, it's not a thing. We don't say that's my third cousin. You know, we don't use those terms. It's just a relation or it isn't. And so, you know, growing up around that, having family reunions every two years of my life, and that started before I was even born, you know, um, it, it is a, it naturally, it makes you curious about your roots. And, you know, it, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of folks have gotten into the practice of having the reunion, but not asking the question as to why we're all connected and how. And I think some of that has to do with the, the you know, the prevalent thought that you can't trace enslaved people or you can't trace African-American genealogy, you know, but I, I I'm constantly telling people, I, I don't, I have very few free people of color in my family or folks that weren't enslaved. Most of my folks were enslaved in the deep South. I'm talking places that y'all probably won't ever see in life. Um, But with that said, right, with my family, I grew up with this history. I grew up with a family tree, you know, well before the Internet. 
um, you know, that a cousin put together, you know, where he was literally making long distance phone calls. The fact that like, that's a thing, right? Like we have to even call out a long distance phone call. So in addition to calling people who, you know, I would never have the opportunity to meet, he also, you know, would go go on site and do research at the National Archives and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the questions began, you know, or the question of our ancestry was was posed by one of his daughters. So he basically used it, you know, as a sort of a thesis, so to speak, to like go out and answer the question. And of course, naturally, you know, he was teaching at um, Wayne State at the time in Detroit. So he's, you know, he's an academic. So that's where he's going to go out and try and get an answer to the question. And that was the first family tree we had. And I want to say it was probably about maybe four feet, you know, but it was primarily my great grandparents and their children and descendants. Like beyond that, like it went out a little bit, you know, from my great great grandparents. Like I had back to my third great grandparents, but it didn't expand be really beyond like my my great grandparents. And the last reunion we had, that was the first time since that tree was printed in 1985 that we had a, tr- a tree printed, and it was it was about. 50 feet. 50 feet? Can you imagine? Right. So they literally rolled their family tree out on the table. Nika says it was one of the first things she remembers reading as a child. And so her background made her a great researcher and storyteller. She studied journalism, which fed into her curiosity and trained her to ask questions. And then she started Black Progen Live because there was nothing focused on the challenges that Black people face when it comes to researching their family trees. So, yeah, so I had been in the world of genealogy for a while, and, you know, everything is always shifting and changing. There's always new technologies. I mean, you know, this is just the world we live in, right? It's like, I just imagine a Roomba and my grandmother, and that probably would have scared the mess out of her. Um, you know, like just anything, you know, or even like, like, like video chatting. Like, that is just... I mean, and you know what's crazy is... I did that when I had my son, you know, and my grandmother was alive for that. And I, you know, I just keep thinking in my head, like, what was she, you know, like, what was she even thinking? Like, you know, I mean, this was somebody who grew up without indoor plumbing and electricity in their house. And then for, to her to live a hundred years. And now she's talking to me in a completely different state and it's on video and she can see me like that's, Right. It's wild, like how fast and how things have progressed. And so, you know, to that same note in genealogies, a lot of times, especially, you know, I don't even want to say olden days because I sound like kids talking about things being vintage from the 90s, um, and which is ridiculous. Uh, but um, with genealogy, a lot of times learning has been facilitated through conferences and through genealogy groups and societies. And so, you know, as the world has started to shift, more people have started to move into online spaces, whether they be YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. And so I noticed early on um, when you know things were starting to jump off with genealogy that there was nothing that was particularly focused on people of color and the challenges that we have with regard to genealogy research. And not just from the oh, how do you search for enslaved people? But, you know, how are we treated when we go into archives? I'll often talk about the experience I had going to research where, where my family's from and having to whisper to one of the people on the staff about where the documents were that had slaves in them. And this was not in the 1950s, because clearly I ain't that old. This wasn't in the 80s. This wasn't even in the 90s. This was 2006. 
So, you know, everything from how we work around access challenges, how to search through records, what databases are, why you should look into them, along with those things around, you know, just mining through the culture, you know, should you go to conferences? Which one should you go to so you don't feel like you wasted your time? Um, you know, everything from that to, you know, celebrating things like how we do funerals and how that is uniquely us. And, you know, um, I mean, it, it's just that it was really based out of a need and, and seeing that there wasn't a voice for us and there wasn't a place for people to go and glean information. Nika told me she likes to focus on multi-generational research because aspects of family stories have different perspectives depending on the generation you're talking to. The aunties are an important part of what I do, regardless. You know, if it's if it's black progen, if it's something else, there's always got to be an elder involved. And there also there always has to be someone younger than me as well. Because those two perspectives are different. Where the elder is not gonna jump off that cliff, the young person might because they have they've made a parachute. Okay, Kara, you know how earlier we talked about genealogy being mostly women, right? Right. Well, it's different here. Nika says her audience is 50% women and men, and they tend to be a younger audience. And it probably has a lot to do with Nika making it interesting for younger people, and she's in their space. Also, the pandemic has created an interest. Nika is out to make everything more accessible because there can be barriers that exist for not only people of color, but also for those who may not have the means to invest money into digging deeper. And even the time, because when you think genealogy, a lot of old people do it, but probably because they're retired and they can go to the library during the day and look at microfilm and, and all that stuff. So for my husband, I know that it's a lot of, it's a big time investment. Um, so when he was a classroom teacher, he could mostly only do it in the summers. So it's, it's very much a time investment and it can be a um, financial investment too. Exactly. And I mean, you know, kind of tying it back to, we were talking about TV shows earlier, like, who do you think you are? Another one that I know that my mom likes and I like too, is Finding Your Roots. That was Mm -hmm. the one with Henry Louis Gates. And there are a lot of obviously high profile people on there because they want to get people to watch the show. But I'm surprised. I mean, these are people with means who could easily have their genealogy done, but it Exactly. You're right. It takes time. It takes the like kind of knowledge to know where to go. And so I'm always surprised even when I watch these shows, you know, and I see Henry Louis Gates going into, um, you know, some very high profile people in their background. They never have taken the time or been able to get someone to do this for them. And they have money and time (laughs) and all of those things. So, right. And speaking of famous people, a lot of people get into genealogy research because they want to prove that someone famous is related to them. But as my husband likes to say, he's not seeking to make famous people his ancestors. He wants to make his ancestors famous. Well, and and I think a lot of folks, especially in genealogy, they start the process because they're trying to validate something, right? Whether you know, it's the time honored, you know, in our community, somebody's Native American, um, whether it's that or it's adjacency to someone famous or well-known. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that that is usually a lot of people's motivation or sometimes it's just we don't know anything. There's not, you know, there there aren't any elders around to tell the story. And so I'm the one that, you know, I feel like I've been the one that's been chosen to, like, see this through. So there, there, there is that. Um, 
But I always tell people, like, don't don't try to figure out if you're related to Prince Rogers Nelson. You know, like, don't (laughs) do that. Because if you find something that goes contrary, you're less likely to Uh, accept that because you've been holding tight to this narrative. And and I will never forget, there was an older woman um, that was a part of a society that I'm part of in in Oakland. And she, her living and dying, like, I don't, I don't think she's passed away, but you know, it's like, it was like her living and dying thing was to prove that this one man was her ancestor. You know, like she just, and she just was, you know, you could not pry this from her cold dead hands. You know what I mean? Like she was just, you know, and, and no matter how many different ways people ask questions that were like countering what she found and like questioning things, she was not willing to move away from this narrative. And that's what folks do with genealogy, especially again, when, when it's adjacency to other people and no, you know, more notable people. And, you know, one of the things that I argue all the time is, you know, I'm here for regular ass black folks. That's who I'm here for. And them just existing in this world as that farmer who was renting that farm, who was paying $3 a month for rent, who only has a second grade education. I want to illuminate their lives Mm -hmm. and to talk about what they experienced and what they went through and how they were able to survive in order for us who are living now to not have to rent that $3 shack with the outhouse in the back and we went well beyond the second grade. That was an achievement. Just living and breathing in America and surviving beyond whatever age, if that for one person may have been three months old, another person that may have been a hundred years old, that is an achievement. That deserves a certificate. That deserves people saying, you know what? I want adjacency to Bill Smith, the farmer from We Woke Up or, you know, whatever. Right, like, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you know, we it should not, we need to like, in some ways, I feel like we need to start Black Lives Mattering in genealogy and in his oh, in the yeah. historical spaces. True, yes. right? Because you know, it, it's always that. Well, it could be you. Yes, it could. You know, especially with what we're watching right now with these two trials going on. Right. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not to say that you know. That's not to say that Ahmaud Arbar's life does not make. You know, yes, it should be propped up. It isn't. It is an egregious case of of just violence. <clears throat> but there are other black joggers. So Mm -hmm. what we're arguing is not so much that we should have protected him as we should have protected all of them, all of the nameless folks that that could have been running down the street that day. Um, And so, you know, if 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 there's anything that anyone ever takes from me is to remember, remember Bill Smith, the farmer that rented the three dollar house. Um, because there's so much to be said about his existence. There's so much to be said about his wife. Uh you know, we'll call her Cheryl because, you know, black folks don't say Cheryl. We say Cheryl. <laughs> um, well, his wife, Cheryl. Now, granted, you know, saying that, <laughs> saying his name is Bill and her name is Cheryl, that's really putting us in the 50s because nobody was <laughs> named Cheryl before that time span. So we'll just assume Cheryl was around before that. Right. But if she had 20, you know, she had 15 children. That mm-hmm. woman is a miracle. Okay. Yeah, right. Give her all of her flowers. You know, you see her on the census, pray she got some sleep when she got to, to, to the by and by. <laughs> because, you know, that was, I mean, in living in that environment and being a woman and not having a place in society, not only just as a woman, but as a Black woman. And again, these are just, I'm just thinking about the, just the 
I mean, there are thousands, if not millions of examples like this, where people would potentially ignore Bill and Cheryl Mm-hmm. because they live next door to W.E.B.'s Du Bois. And that kind of reminds me of two things. Like, number one, going back to Bill, Bill and Cheryl. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bill what, and Cheryl, right? <laughs> what, what, what are some stories, what are some, some pro- surprises that you've encountered in your own family tree that were kind of like those everyday Black folks? You know, what are some interesting stories that have come out of your tree? Well, I think early in my journey, I would say one of the more shocking things was the whole history of freedmen of the five tribes and that that's even a thing. Like you even see people using the term freedmen now, um, you know, in, in the, you know, reparation movement, right. And we kind of claiming that term freedmen, but the term freedmen has been used a number of different ways over history. You know, one, um, one way is through the Freedmen's Bureau, you know, that was like a large scale social service program that mm-hmm. the government, you know, enacted after the Civil War. It was primarily there to protect the, the uh, needs, desires, autonomy of newly emancipated people in the United States. So a lot of times when people hear Freedmen, they think of the Freedmen's Bureau. But even in addition to that, you have the Freedmen of the Five Tribes. And those are individuals who were enslaved by the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, the Muscogee Creek and Seminole nations, individuals within those nations. And the whole idea that learning about the Trail of Tears, as most of us, many of us learn in school at the elementary level, you know, especially when we're talking now, where this is Native American History Month. But you never hear about the freedmen and those individuals, again, who were carrying the bags of the folks on the trail and were walking it with them. And we're not talking three people. We're not talking 20. We're talking thousands. And my connection to that is hearing about my grandmother my paternal grandmother and her family being Cherokee. And at first thinking, okay, that's what all black people say. But then when I started looking at the fact that my grandmother was born in like literally the most Northeastern part of the state of Oklahoma, you can get almost when I started tracing through her family history and seeing that my grandmother's oldest sisters got 80 acre land allotments and her 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 father my great grandfather got an 80 acre land allotment and the fact that I could I didn't have to chase for years to find a slaveholder it was right there on his Dawes card and the fact that everything is labeled in the Cherokee Nation that was a shock to me the fact that you could even find that information out and beyond that this whole narrative that that no one ever lifts up around these enslaved people that walked the trail and that they were there and 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 the history of those freedmen of the five tribes after slavery ended and the fact that that the 13th amendment didn't apply to them because these nations were sovereign nations within the confines of the United States so they had their own laws so you have a treaty that doesn't get drafted until a year after 1865. It's 1866. So these people legally, technically are not free, right? Now, there were some nations that passed slavery abolition, but you know those slaveholders were more adhering to that. Not during a war. You know, the, the other piece that the five tribes sided with the Confederacy. They fought for the Confederacy. Wow. So, right. So that 
that messed me up for a while because I was like, my gosh. And then when you start to really learn the history of Freedmen of the Five Tribes and you learn about the fact that they weren't just the formerly enslaved, that people who were, quote, by blood had children with these enslaved people, just like how we have outside of the nations in the Deep South. Those exact same situations where, you know, oh, well, so-and-so's dad was white. In this instance, so-and-so's dad was Native American. You know, it's the same stories. So it, again, that messed me up early in my research. Like, I was like, how could we how can we tell American history in the way that we do and we completely erase these people? And, and not only do, they, do we erase these people, mm. we erase my ancestors. Because that's, that's one of the stories that I, you know, that I found in looking through this research. And I, I, honestly, I, you know, I honestly feel like it is one of the most documented group of Black people in America. Period, point blank, are the freedmen of the five tribes. And it, you, you're getting unique documents like when they're you know applying to the Dawes commission you're getting their testimony you're hearing their voice like you're literally reading their answers to questions where we have to use documents like the slave narratives to even remotely come close to that you're 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 getting um you're seeing them fight for their rights and for their ability to to be recognized by the nations and then now you have a scenario where you know the Choctaw and the Chickasaw and the Muscogee Creek those freemen of those five tribes are trying to get their rights back because they've been stripped away. Ever since the treaty, it's been like a, a constant stripping. So whereas, you know, the Cherokee acknowledge and grant citizenship to their freedmen and the Seminole do, the Cherokee are really the only ones where we aren't restricted by like voting and other things. Like our, our chief is actually you know very pro-freedmen and wants us to have a voice and you know again even says how many of there there are? There's almost 9,000 Cherokee freedmen enrolled. Those are only the people who are enrolled. Wow. So, right. So that, again, I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that I came across research-wise that to this day, it just, it just baffles me. Um, and, and I'll even go further to say that, you know, we, we've had this incredible movie, The Harder They Fall. It just came out. On Netflix, right? It's got this all-star cast. Many of those outlaws were freedmen of the five tribes. Oh, interesting. Which is a part of the story they kind of only touch on with Cherokee Bill. Because he speaks Cherokee in one part of the movie. I won't give any spoilers if people haven't seen it, but he actually speaks Cherokee in the movie. But many of the outlaws they featured were were Afro-Indigenous. They were they were freedmen of the five tribes. Yeah, like I, I had no idea about any of that. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to learn more about that. Right, especially when you start talking about the Black Belt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, portions of Alabama, you know, you start looking at, at the borders of where the nations were before removal. And, you know, then when you also think about um, just slave trade, the slave trade, where the hubs were, you know, that, that there's, that there's just, it, it was such a pervasive part of American culture that of course it would connect with nations, the five tribes like that. And, and the fact that even now, some of those nations, they don't even talk about the fact that people own slaves. It's like, it didn't even happen. It's, it's, you know, critical erase theory. <laughs> <laughs> not race erase that is good that's um 
you know, it's, it's very, yeah. Yeah. So I would say that's probably the number one thing. And then in addition to that is just the possibility of being able to find ancestors while they were enslaved, you know, and really being able to crush the narrative that that's not findable. There are no documents being able to literally see them, hold them, touch them, you know, um, that, that too is every time I see a name or I come across one, you know, it's, it's, I don't even really know if there's a scenario that you can compare that to, you know, it, cause we know what happened, but it's different when you actually see it and how you in some ways have to operate, as I've said before, like a capitalist in order for you to be able to find the documents. Like you're literally tracing financial transactions. Just imagine if you literally had to go through your bank statements to find the names of people, you have to have a certain amount of emotional intelligence to be able to handle this. Because many of us that that sit and do this research, we've already gotten to that place because we, we've been angry, we've been mad, but we've had to push through. But I understand people who can't because it's a lot to see a child, a baby worth $250 and not have a higher value because they have no use to that slaveholder yet. So them just surviving right now is worth $200. Or or even when individuals' personhood could be split between different people where they have shares in you. And then even, even beyond that, right? The fact that, as I phrased it, your physical labor, right? If it's a cotton plantation or even sugar, you provide profit through your, your physical labor. Your literal air out of your lungs or your vital labor was monetized. And that was monetized through mortgaging because they could borrow against your personhood. And not only could they one person borrow, they could borrow with one, you know, from one individual, they could borrow from a multitude of people. And if they defaulted against the terms of that mortgage, all of those folks had a right entitled to come and get you. Then the third way they monetize you is through your virile or your fertile labor based off of who you could produce. Because that then added back into the workforce. That wasn't money they had to go out to a slave market to go and buy somebody. Okay, so Carrie, you mentioned 23andMe earlier. Um, that's what you use to get your DNA results. I use Ancestry. So tell me about that and what made you want to do it. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself. My mom did 23andMe. I refuse to do 23andMe because <laughs> I'm one of those people that's like, they're keeping our blood. <laughs> so I am not. But my mom did it maybe like five, four or five years ago. And, you know, she got back the profile that tells you, you know, what percentage you are of, you know, different ethnicities. And then as much as it can, you know, it tries to pinpoint exactly where you are um, from. So I don't remember what my mom's was, but obviously it was somewhere in Africa was the, the highest percentage. So she seemed to be happy with it. And again, it really helped set her off on this long journey of then saying, now I want to do the tracing backwards. I want to use that as a jumping off point to find out our, our lineage, our genealogy, to which it, it did give her a few answers to move her in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, 
we, we did ours through Ancestry.com. And I got my numbers back. I don't have them in front of me, but I do remember that I was very pleased that my Black percentage was typical of most African-Americans because, as, as we all know, we have a lot of European ancestry due to, you know, centuries of, you know, rape, um, unfortunately. So seeing those percentages, you know, it was kind of like, I, I don't know why, but, you know, you kind of like seeing, okay, the Black is what I yeah. thought it would be. But um, there's also some, some neat surprises in there. And then I saw what countries in Africa that my ancestors likely came from. Of course, it was the, the West part yes. of Africa where, right. you know, the slave trade was happening. Exactly. But, um, so, yeah. So a lot of people want to do that to see like what you are, like to figure out like, right. I'm this, my race is this much and this much, but really. Correct. Nika, yes. And well, Nika's, can yeah, I say too, yes. I think it's important because, you know, with my white friends, a lot of them can say, oh, my parents, you know, immigrated from the Czech Republic or, you know, my great, great grandparents came from like they can pinpoint the actual place in mm-hmm. Europe or wherever. And we don't get the opportunity to do that a lot. And their information is just passed on through history. Right. It's like right. I know that my mother or my grandmother, you know, was Jewish and grew up in this part. And and, and those are things that are passed down through their history. We lost ours. And so for us to be able to use 23andMe and these other DNA places, they get you a little bit closer to the origins that we just do not have traditionally because of the way we were brought to this country. And that's so true because what Nika likes about the DNA research is less about, you know, what your genetic makeup, but more about the aspect of using it as a research tool. DNA for what I use it for, the percentages are nice, but what what I think is the most impactful aspect of it that many people do not realize is the fact that we can reconnect our families as a result of the the system of enslavement, right? We talked about, you know, the, the financial part, right? The financial disruption, the familial disruption. That happened as a result of enslavement, people being sold away from each other, children being sold away from parents, you know, siblings being broken up, all of that. DNA is a way that we can repair or recreate those relationships because of the DNA matching like you just talked about, whereas we are finding descendants of slaveholding families that we connect to biologically. It's the same for our ancestors who were sold away from each other. And and the other thing that it does as well is it also gives you the ability where the paper trail may stop on your side of the family. You test, you have a cousin, they know just a little bit more. That's all you need to go back further because you can then use their connection to you as a way for you to get all of you all back. There are branches of my family that I literally, the paper trail, I'm telling you, I searched online. I went to the local area. I spoke to the elders. I did everything you're supposed to do. But the only way I got forward was because I had a DNA match on that side of the family who knew just enough where I started researching their ancestor, figured out our tie, and then I was able to get us all back another generation where nobody had those names. Uh, Nika mentioned adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. And there's a lot of research surrounding that and, and even a pyramid that people use as a social determinant of health. So for Black people, we're carrying around things like generational trauma that we may not even know about. We're carrying this around. It's a part of our, it's part of the tapestry of who we are. 
but no one literally took a piece, you know, took a, a seam ripper and just started to kind of take apart that block to even understand, you know, what, what's going on. And so, you know, for some people it's a hobby for me, it's not because I feel like there's a level of self-knowledge that you gain as a result of family history and genealogy work that you cannot get elsewhere. There's a level of connection with history in general that you get from genealogy. You know, it, it when major commemorations happen, you're not sitting there like, oh, you know, you have no connection to it because you don't know the name of an ancestor who had something to be involved with that. Even from a, you know, even from just a, they were alive when that happened. You know, especially now with the pandemic, we had the Spanish flu pandemic in 1917, 1918, wiped out, you know, scores of people, you know, and there is there are so many of us that didn't even realize that that decimated our own families in the same way that COVID-19 is decimating our families now because nobody took a seam ripper and started to take that square apart to try to figure out why it was sewed on in that way. Um, So, yeah, it can be a hobby, but at the end of the day. I feel like we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the generations that that come after us or that aren't even really thought about to really dive into our personal stories in a very intimate way to to make better decisions and to really adjust the narrative around what American history is. And we can't do that unless we do this work. Unless we delve into the archive, unless we, you know, again, increase the access to records so that people can even understand some of this stuff. Um, You know, to me, there's just no better way to learn American history and world history, you know, outside of, you know, from the vantage point of your own ancestors. Our call and response segment this is where I ask you some questions about being Black and Southern, and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. What does being Black and Southern mean to you? It means you're the heart and soul of the country. Mm, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you wish people knew or understood about the South? I wish people knew that the South and the North are really the same place. It's just people express it differently. I mean, it's the same country you know, and where the dialect and the accents may be different. Everything, you know, in the food maybe even be different. We're still in the same place. And, you know, you can't come down to New Orleans and get your life and then go back to Oakland and think that you don't have a little bit of the city on you. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, you can't go, you know, it, there's a reason why you're going there. So, you know, don't just think of it as a political wasteland during election season. You know what I mean? Like as much exactly. as we cap on Florida, right? <laughs> right. From be running down or go to Miami, you go back to your home. You still got a little bit of Miami <laughs> on you when you go home. That's the reason why you went there in the first place. <laughs> I like that. You got a little bit on you. Ooh. You got a little bit of it on you. Like you can't, you know, it's we, we got to stop these silos. You know, w- when we talk like that, we're really going back to the stinking civil war. And like you said, this is America. We all we're all have a role in slavery, no matter where you right. live in this country. Right. Right. Hmm. Right. The ugly parts. We all can have to claim. Yeah, right. And 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 to quote Nicole Hannah Jones, she she tweeted this about a week or so ago. She said, You should feel shame about this stuff. If you don't feel shame about it, that's when you know something's not right. Like we all should feel very shameful. It shouldn't just be a certain segment of the population that feels shame. 
we all should feel shame because if this is all of our country, then we're responsible. You know what I mean? And we should feel we should not feel good about some some of the things that have taken place or a lot of the things that have taken place. I think I saw that because she was like, if we can feel a collective pride in something, then Correct. we should be able to feel the collective shame too. Correct. Mm. Correct. That's good stuff. Um, so what do you love most about living in the South? What do I love most about living in the South? I would say I like the fact that you could just get in the car and drive and you're there in like two or three hours. You know, I grew up in California and we didn't folks in the South are some driving people. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. we in California, it was like, we don't get on the plane and go, you know, like we just, I love the, the accessibility like the fact that you don't have to have a, you don't have to be on a train or even a plane that you can hop in the car and just like go, you know what I mean? Wherever you want. So what part of California are you from? I was born and raised in Southern Cal, but I spent a lot of time in the Bay. So I would say all of California. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would say Bay and LA. I'd say both. Cause I've only been to, I've been to LA and I've been to San Diego and like in my head, it's like, Oh, it's California. like, no, that's a really big state. And, um, in LA, if you drive for two or three hours, you may make it what? Five miles, depending on traffic. I mean, depending on the traffic. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, where I am in Tennessee, people always go, oh my gosh, well, California's not that big. It's like, okay, well, take the state of Tennessee and instead of being horizontal, make it vertical. <laughs> and that's basically Tennessee or that's California. Right. Right. Um, if you could change one thing about the South, what would it be? You know what? It would be the most segregated day of the week, which is Sunday. I feel like people in the South cling to their faith a lot, but they don't realize how that might affect their worldview. And the fact that all these things that, that we say in services, people don't take that outside on the street and with their neighbors and the people in their community. Like it's all, you know, I don't say it's all for show because that's not it, but I feel like it's still very separate here. Unless you're in certain locations, you know what I mean? I feel like it's gotten better because you, because we have, we have young people like your son who are walking around who are bridging two different experiences in, in America. But I, but yeah, it's just that, yeah, it's still very separate. Um, and I wish it wasn't, um, but that's the case across the country though. You know what I mean? Right. It's just different here. Um, and so, yeah, but I, again, but I think it's changing. I mean, we have to look at the demographics of our youngest Americans and that is telling us everything we need to know about what the future is. And either we can go in kicking and screaming or we can go in with the vantage point of our world has got to be better for them because we don't have to, we don't want to make them to have to choose between their mother and their father mm. or their grandparents. True. This should be a fun one for you. Uh, fill in the blank. I would love to sip sweet tea on the front porch with blank. Let's see. I'm trying to think of the latest person that I said I wanted to go have lunch with because that would be when I would have tea. So this week it's Adele. Only oh. because I was watching that concert and I was cackling when the guy proposed to his, his now fiance and the woman was crying hysterically and Adele was dying laughing like, <laughs> Not at her, but just the fact that she, like, the whole situation was so funny. So I was just like, I said, you know what? I literally, there are people who I've said I would love to have lunch with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you put things out, the atmosphere happens, and that has always happened to me. So I have to keep adding people to my list now, which is not a bad thing. Right. So this week, it's Adele. It oh, how Adele. fun. Yeah. She does seem fun. I would say her, 
Yeah, she, yeah, when she was dying laughing at that lady crying and the fact that I was <laughs> laughing at her laughing, I was like, oh, I already know how she, her personality. It just seemed like it would just, we would just gel. But if I had to pick someone Southern, Manny Fresh, and or Andre 3000. Okay. You know, I was assuming that you would go historical, but you did not. You kept mm. it current. No, because I mean, I'm thinking, I want to know, you, I want to know all the outtakes of like what it was like with like the Dungeon family in Atlanta, like all the stuff that like people don't know. And even like Outcast Ascension and how like Dre just lives this like very like, you know, he just does his thing. You know, like you want to be in that person's brain, you yeah. know, like just how do you operate? Like he just seems again, that's like total lunch, sweet tea. Yes. <laughs> Manny Fresh has produced so many people. And he has a million and one stories about New Orleans. And that's like my, that city has my heart. So I would want to, I would just want to sit and listen to his like creative process and just, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff um, from, from everything he created. And I would even, if I had to be equitable, Missy Elliott, that's not even a question. Mm, Like Missy, oh my gosh, could I just get like a lunch, a production session with Missy Elliott? Like would love, like just love. Yeah, you have a very musical a musical uh, sweet tea session, musical lunch. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what? That's the thing. I'm a creative. Like, I mm-hmm. know that I am. So oftentimes people always ask me, like, how do you get ideas for stuff? I'm like, I don't look in the industry that I'm in. I always look outwardly for inspiration in other places. So I don't know what I would be able to glean from those conversations that I'm having with that person. So I wouldn't necessarily go historical, you know? Mm, yeah. Um and, and, you know, and that's the thing. How do I not know that I'm connected to them in some way because of our ancestral story here living in the United States? I don't know that. But, you know, but one of the things that I know is that one of the roles I play is being a conduit between people and a connector, you know, mm-hmm. and even just from the, the small thing that we talked about with your grandmother's maiden name, you see how I made a connection to that You're, in five right. seconds. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't have to be somebody historical for me. <laughs> yeah, true. I don't, you know, I could just have fun. So yeah. So we'll yeah. say for now, Manny Fresh, Andre 3000, Missy Elliott. <laughs> Look at that crew. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite black and or Southern saying? I would say it would be, um, it would be the ones that make me laugh. So in, in Louisiana, Louisiana is just different in general, but like there's this whole thing where like, a woman doesn't just have a baby or they don't have like a parent set of parents doesn't have a baby. The woman has a baby for the person. So like, I'm just saying that you're like, you know what I mean? So it's like, Oh, you know, it'll be, uh, Cheryl had a baby for bill. Like, and it's like, like, she had it for him. You know what I mean? Not for them. It's so weird. Every time I hear, you know, she had a baby for so-and-so like, that's how they say it. It makes me, I can't even say it without laughing. (laughs) I can't either. It's so funny to me. Right. So I would say that one. Um, yeah, it would be a tie between that one. And I I would say, okay, a triple tie bless their heart. Cause we automatically knows what that we automatically Mm -hmm. know what that means. Um, and then I got to give a shout out to Memphis on what you said. Um, cause I fully adopted what you said. And when I first, when I first heard my husband say that, I was like, what do you mean? Like, cause I said something and he was like, he said, what you said. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? He was like, what you said, like, I'm agreeing with you in Memphis. That is, that's, that's how you say that you agree right. with, the other, with the other person is what you said. Oh, that is a good one. What you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Memphis. It is very Memphis. 
So what's your favorite soul food dish? And at the risk of losing your black card, what's one soul food dish or meal or whatever that you could live without? I would say my favorite soul food dish is gumbo with a bunch of filet. Um, I love filet. Sassafras for everybody's like, what is that? If you don't use filet, I don't know. You might have to get your car revoked. Um, and then <laughs> overrated black dish. Oh, I would have to say probably chitlins. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Plenty of plenty of days listening, you know, when my dad with the Marvin Gaye turned up loud with them red Farmer John's buckets in the house smelling like oh, yes. somebody stole something smelly. You know, I, yeah, <laughs> nah, I remember, I remember those, those days. buckets. Right, you know, you know exactly what I was talking about yeah, when I said the red the white Farmer John's buckets. Yes. Right, and then when they came out, in air quotes, when they came out <laughs> with the clean chitlins and then nobody trusts them, so you had to go back over them. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> and the, now they come like in a frozen, I think they come like in a frozen vacuum sealed thing or something. But, 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 my, but my folks is still going to go back over them allegedly clean chitlins. They oh, really yeah. ain't clean. It's like they got them partially clean. Then you had the people that swear that they could get the smell out. All you got to do is, <laughs> is put a potato in there. That mess didn't never work. I'm good. Nope. It does, it does not matter how, ma- how many bottles of hot sauce you use. And, you know, we come from a crystal hot, a crystal family. Crystal. Still. Okay. I'm Louisiana. Right. 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 Qu- and depending on what it is, Tabasco, maybe. Ooh. But, you know, it still is Louisiana. But it's yeah. crystal. Crystal and Louisiana hot sauce. Crystal is but, good. Yeah, you, yeah. You cannot get me to eat a chitterling. Yes. I will <laughs> full, fully pronounce the end entire word and if my mom hears this well you used to eat it yeah before i knew what it was <laughs> yeah I, I mean yeah I, I would eat it. i would tear them up you know um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize what they were i pig feet yeah. same thing i used to pick, oh, oh, I couldn't yeah. get enough pig feet when i was a kid until i realized it was an actual pig's foot i don't know why <laughs> i didn't realize that it was an actual pig's foot then when i mm-mm. yeah I, we broke up after that yeah and you know what my thing is i think i knew some of this stuff i was like huh Put a little mustard hot sauce, it tastes good. Right, but then that goes back to, right, the the two, the two, you know, uh, layers of the pyramid, right? I didn't have that generational knowledge to know, yes, it really was a little pig because (laughs) by the time I came around, we wasn't on the farm anymore. You didn't have to go and wrangle a pig down and cut them up and put them in the smokehouse so that y'all could eat the pig feet. Like, I, (laughs) even, even back to, like, the whole, the whole process to bathe, like, I mean, mm-hmm. literally think about this. There are scores of young people. I can guarantee you right now, if I created a TikTok that talked about the way that people used to bathe, it would probably go viral Viral because you tell people, go take a bath. If I say that to my son, he's going to go in the bathroom and turn the water on. The, mm-hmm. whole, not, the whole notion of wood got to be cut. So if there ain't no wood blocks, you better go out there and cut some wood down. Ooh, yeah. Then you're going to have to go out, take a bucket, pump the bucket at the well, then you're going to have to bring it in the house, put it on the stove, heat up the water, wait for it to get hot because you got to put the, you got to put the, you know, the, the wood in the oven or the wood in the wood burning stove. Then get that number two tub because it got to be a number two tub in my family's number two tub. That's what I know. <laughs> get the number two tub, get in there, wash. People add that R. <laughs> wash yourself. And then you don't dump the water out. There's no drain. The next person comes and uses that water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that my grandmother and her siblings, they had days of the week that they bathed. Yeah. 
But we go in and turn a shower on and the mm. water goes down the drain. That is amazing. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> like, I mean, that sounds so small, but there are young people. I can guarantee you if I told that same story to my niece, she would be like, what do you mean cutting down wood and heating stuff on the stove? I'm like, I'll have to tell her, let the water heater go out. You're going to find out. Mm-hmm. Man, have a sink right. to slow the heat. And that, that gives me perspective, but it may take a little longer than the rest of the process. And I'm like, no, not Baby, that long. But we ain't cutting it's no wood and ain't no wood burning stove. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to take that in our old water heater and see. Yes, we're going to do it. Wow. So um, what's something awesome that's happened in your life recently? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. There's been a lot that's happened this year. Um, I, I did a, I did a count. I presented 60 plus times, um, wow. you know, corporate entities, genealogy groups. I was on MSNBC. I did a thing with, with Black News Channel. I was interviewed by NBC. I mean, I it was a lot mm-hmm. this year. Um, and, and everything I did hasn't even come out yet. Like my favorite, favorite part, my favorite thing hasn't come out yet. This so one, if it, right, this right, one. right. As I say, right, yeah, as, as, as it will. <laughs> but like, I'm just like that. That would have been my favorite thing from the whole year. Um, but I, but I would say for me, honestly, the best thing that has happened to me more recently is the fact that I got to see my family. Oh yeah. Um, because I don't live close to you know my my immediate family. So the fact that I was able to see you know my mom and my sister, my my only first cousin on that side, I hadn't seen him in person in twelve years because he lives overseas. The fact that I got to see all those people in the last like four or five months, you know, some other close cousins, that that was probably the highlight of of my year, or probably the best thing that's happened more recently for me. Oh, and a lot of them are still in California. Well, you know what? That's the thing. My family's all over. So, you know, um, where, you know, my closer immediate families in California, I've got family literally, I mean, all over the place. One branch of my family has people in like 23 states and four countries. Like we're all over. So, um, you know, so again, just especially with the pandemic and, you know, it had been two years since I saw my mom and my sister. So, yeah. So that, you know, it's the little things. We're we're appreciating the small things now. I think in a way that we weren't before, and I hope we keep that up. And I also hope that the educational opportunities that people are getting because everything's been taken virtual. I really hope that the entities that are offering that stuff continue to do it. You know, in the spirit of just community learning, and not from a vantage point of them trying to profit off of it, because mm-hmm. we see the need for the community to learn and need to learn. Again, we thank Nika for being a guest on our show. Um, you can find out more about Nika on her website, who is nikasmith.com. We're also linking to that in the show notes. And from that site, you can check out some episodes of Black Pro Gen Live. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms. This episode was edited by Katrina Dupins and Prentice Dupins Jr. with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Thanks again to Southern Bank Corp. for underwriting our third season. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit blackbeltvoices.com. 